coming up on today's Next Fan Up podcast. Jay? What are you talking about? And then, of course, you know, like any good ex, they had to come and try and shove it in my face in a Super Bowl. Uh, And then uh, my true pride and joy, uh, you know, my my husband's uh, put them back in their place. Okay. Uh, That whole metaphor just took a whole nother level. (laughs) Oh, speaking of boyfriends. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Romo because. Enough of all this boyfriend, girlfriend non-macho football stuff. Let's really talk sports. Now! We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You play to win the game. Next fan up. I want winners. Featuring Pod Vader and the Superfans. They are who we thought they were. Hello and welcome to the woefully underprepared... No, that's not true edition of the next fan up podcast i am pod vader we are more than prepared we have lots of things that we want to get to and i think that's sort of where i'm feeling woefully underprepared trying to organize all the news trying to figure out how we're going to present it to you the listener out there in podcast land i'm glad you found us if uh If you did find us, but your friend hasn't, please share the show with a friend uh, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, AHA Radio, all great places where podcasts are heard. Share the show with a buddy. Leave us a review. And of course, you can always send us emails and all that good stuff. We'll get to that later. Uh, But we got a lot to get to here. We got two interviews here for you today. One is a current player, although last year he was in the same spot. Uh, Brandon Jackson, who uh, spent most of the year on the Raiders practice squad. I'm going to talk to him a little bit about what it means to have spent most of the year on the practice squad and uh, what his feelings are about being a Raider. Uh, he's got some lo- he's got a lot of good insights as to what uh, how that Raider locker room feels and uh, sort of what he's been doing as a Raider. And then uh, we'll be talking with a draft prospect. His name is Fred Payne. He's a strong safety from Western Carolina. Uh, talk to him a little bit about some of the things that we're going to talk about here on the show as I am joined by three super fans this week. Uh, as always on Thursdays, I've got James, our Eagles super fan. Although you weren't here last week, were you, James? No, I wasn't. I was a bit under the weather. Uh, something flu-like got a hold of me, and it was not very cute. Mm, at least it was flu-like and not snow-like. Uh, <laughs> joining me in the Northeast in the snow uh, is our man in Prison Zone 6, Kevin, our Cowboy super fan. Uh, not snowing in Dallas, Kevin. Oh, it's definitely not. Um, and to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed with uh, the snow accumulation in the city over here, but it did get me a day off work, so I was pleased. Yeah, that's always a nice thing. Uh, unfortunately, when you work from home, you don't get the days off. <laughs> that's the downfall here. And uh, not worried about snow, but he was complaining about the oh-so-dreadful 43-degree weather. Uh, in Florida is uh, Rob, our Bills superfan, where it did actually snow like two feet worth up in Buffalo. Yeah, once again, Buffalo got hit. And let me just say, like 40 degrees out here in Florida is different than 40 degrees up north. It cuts through you. It's it's a different type of cold. Mm. <laughs> so they say, uh, my son, when it's 40 degrees, busts out the shorts uh, and walks around uh, underdressed in 
his parents' opinion. But in any case, uh, enough about the snow, enough about the weather. Let's talk about the NFL because there's lots of good things going on. And we're going to start right away with the biggest news uh, that happened literally overnight. That is Latavius Murray signing with the Minnesota Vikings. Interesting on a couple of parts. One, Latavius Murray is now a Minnesota Viking, leaving an opening in Oakland, but also signifying that Adrian Peterson is definitely now gone from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Let's see here. Let's start with you, Rob. What are your thoughts here? Latavius Murray, now a Viking. I think um, I was surprised, one, that he got as much as he did um, as a guarantee. He got uh, just under $9 million. Um, the reason is, is because um, although he did put up, uh, I think, 12 touchdowns, I wasn't terribly impressed with his, uh, you know, just game to game run. You know, Raleigh did have a couple nice games. I remember one against Denver um, and, um, you know, he averaged four yards a carry. I know the other two backs, um, Richard and the other guy, the other guy's name is escaping me and it's hard to pronounce anyway. Both averaged 5.6 yards a carry um, and he's going now to a Minnesota team offensive line is hot garbage uh so it's going to be real interesting to see um how his uh you know stat line changes going from probably one of the three or four best offensive lines in the league to what might be you know one of the three or four worst Hmm. what do you think here um kevin i know one of your biggest fears is that adrian peterson is going to end up in new york I don't think that's possibly the case. I think Adrian Peterson, uh, this could almost end up being a trade that's not a trade where Adrian Peterson ends up in Oakland. No, yeah, it seems like that that has a very high probability of happening now. Um, I mean, the more time that passes with Adrian Peterson, I think is the less likely that he'll go to the Giants, to be honest. Um, but, to be, but Latavius Murray in general, I'm not really a big fan of the Vikings signing. I mean, to me, he's just a poor man, Adrian Peterson. He's a power runner. He doesn't do much in the passing game whatsoever. Um, and as Rob said, he's going from a top three offensive line to a bottom three offensive line. And last year, I'm looking at his stats. There was one, two, three, five games in which he had a below a three, 3.0 yards per carry. So going from a top, an elite offensive line to a Vikings offensive line in which Adrian Peterson last year, although he only played two games, he he only had like 75 yards on 30 carries. Um, makes me a little skeptical. Um, so, I mean, although it's a big name, I don't think it's the greatest signing. All right, James, you get the last word here on Latavius Murray and Adrian Peterson. I pretty much think, you know, they, they pretty much summed it up as is. Uh, I don't see Peterson signing with any NFC team at this point. I feel like with what happened in Seattle, and now this signing in Minnesota, that pretty much eliminated the two teams in the NFC he was going to sign with. Ultimately, I believe that it's going to come down to Oakland and New England as far as where he does go, as far as Adrian Peterson. But the Latavius Murray signing, good for Minnesota. I'm not sure if it's good for Latavius. Um, it, again, this contract, you know, the con- contract is friendly for the franchise, but again, the talent there as far as the offensive line is abysmal at best and horrendous at worst. So, um, hope it works out for him in the long run. But a three-year deal, fifteen million with incentives. So, 
Uh, Latavius Murray pretty much got what he was looking for. I don't see how he couldn't get this in Minnesota. I mean, excuse me, in uh, in Oakland. But here we are. And that, and to note more on that contract, it can be voided after the first year, uh, which is uh, also interesting. We were talking a little bit about this, Rob and I, uh, about some of the contract signings and some of the interesting moves uh, being done by some of the teams. Uh, why in the world, like Tyrod Taylor, would have agreed to restructuring that contract and giving the team uh, sort of the power? You know, Rob, you want to expand on that thought? I just. It- he and I think that was a kind of a great way to put it. He took all the le- you know the leverage and um, you know gave it to the team. He was in a position where if the Bills were to have released him this year. Um, I don't think anyone could say that he wouldn't be able to go out and get a contract better than Osweiler got the year before. Which obviously Osweiler has since been traded um, for nothing just because his contract was so bad. But he did. He made quite a bit of money off that deal. Now, Tyrod Taylor did get um, a little bit of a signing bonus for this year. Uh, however, next year, um, the he can be cut from the bills for a, uh, I believe it's an $8 million cap hit, which is, you know, for someone who's going to be making, I think the next three years, he's at 18 mil. It's not something that's hard to do. So if he gets injured, he has nothing. You know, he has what he's already made and he may have to kind of, you know, take another prove it deal somewhere um, or something like that. So I just feel like he gave all his leverage to the bills um, for no, I don't think financially any real good reason. There's no reason for him. There's no reason he needs to be loyal to the Buffalo Bills um, because of, you know, kind of the way they did him at the end of the year. They didn't let him play the last game of the season. Um, citing their words, a business decision, you know, and um, to me that leads, you know, any loyalty out the window and you yourself need to make a business decision. I just think he made the wrong one. Um, And that sort of led us into a conversation about how teams manage the cap. You know, one of the stories that got reported this week is uh, the NFL released the, uh, 2016 performance-based pay distributions. Um, And now that's a long way of saying like, hey, there are a bunch of uh, players, mostly late late round draft choices, undrafted free agents, and some veterans uh, that earned a little bit of extra cash uh, based on the performance uh, and the time that they played on the field. Now the number one, um, the number one rookie uh, who made the most amount of money, uh, based on his performance was Brian Poole, the Atlanta cornerback uh, who made uh, 371,000 extra dollars. Uh, Dak Prescott was number two with $353,000. Um, but when you combine uh, both the veteran performance-based and the uh, performance-based distributions, uh, the number one player was Ricardo Allen from Atlanta, uh, but the Patriots had three guys on this on this list: David Andrews, Malcolm Butler, uh, and Shaq Mason, the guard. Um, to which James mentioned Shaq Mason. I didn't even realize he played any games last year. He had a very quiet season. Uh, very quiet. But uh, this also sort of leads into why Malcolm Butler and the Patriots might be on the outs, where Malcolm Butler feels like he's performed at a level, and I kind of sign with 
side with the Malcolm Butler side of things here. Uh, he's performed at a level where he's worth a lot more than just three hundred and sixty eight thousand extra dollars. Uh, he's performed at the level of a top 10 cornerback in the NFL and maybe even higher than that. Uh, but he's not getting paid like that right now. Uh, and the Patriots have all of the control because he's a restricted free agent. And now he's talking with the saints about making a, a long-term deal, all the best to him. And it kind of sucks that new England's playing hardball in this way. But then again, this is the way that teams manage their salary caps and put themselves in a position to win the Super Bowl every year. And so now I will leave it to you, Kevin, because your team actually had a few players. I mentioned Dak Prescott were, was on this list. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little surprised how Dak was not the biggest rookie um, earner. Um, I'm not even quite sure who Brian Poole is, to be honest. Uh <laughs> And anyways, yeah, I mean, Dak, he, he could have gotten more money. He could have given $2 million extra, and I think it would have been justifiable. I mean, he clearly was the one of the most important pieces of our team last year. Um, and then Malcolm Butler, I mean, I think you're – I agree with you. I think Malcolm Butler has every right to, to stand firm on this ground. Um, he's clearly outperformed expectations. Um, but sadly, the Patriots don't really do business that way. I mean, just ask Richard Seymour, Chandler Jones. Um, so I, I expect Malcolm Butler to be to be gone definitely before the draft from the Patriots. It looks like the Saints are maybe getting him. So the the, the Malcolm Butler Brandon Cooks trade that was talked about, although it didn't didn't exactly happen like that. It, it looks like it could be a little swap like that. Um, So I won't be exactly sad for the Patriots to see Malcolm Butler go. Um, but if I was Malcolm Butler, I would think long and hard before he, he goes to the Saints because that's where defensive talent goes to die. So maybe <laughs> stick it out a little longer in New England and wait until a better team gives you an offer. But who knows? I, I would like millions of dollars right now, too, so I can't blame him. Uh, James, your team, uh, obviously in a rebuilding mold, you know, what are your thoughts here on, on managing the salary cap? Well, the rebuilding mode, unfortunately, is still based off what the last regime did, you know, before we had he who should not be named as a head coach. Um, we did a very good job of managing the salary cap when, you know, when Andy Reid was a head coach and the previous, um, staff we had there as general manager and front office team did a very good job building this team from the inside out, meaning that more money was spent on offensive lines and skill players. Now, it, in some instances, it did bite us in the butt because there was frequently no talent at wide receiver until the drafting of Macklin and Jackson in back-to-back -back years. Um, defensively, they were always sound as, you know, at every single level, secondary linebacker, defensive line. The new regime came in, and it was pretty much just free willy spending, getting the big names, giving them fat contracts. And, of course, none of those guys panned out because none of them are with the team. And more players who were brought in during that regime are being purged from the roster, you know, either through necessity or they're just not the right fit going forward. Uh, case in point, Connor Barwin was just released last week. Um, who is a good defensive lineman in a 3-4 scheme, but in the 4-3 as a defensive end, 
he has little impact, if any, at, at all. And, and while he's a great locker room guy and, you know, good for the Eagles going, you know, as mentoring the uh, other defensive ends coming up, he just doesn't fit the scheme outright. So, you know, it's a little bittersweet to see him go, but it's necessary. And, um, you know, the current regime right now trying to get back to building the team that way and not pretty much throwing big money out there. Uh, look at the Alshon Jeffrey sign, and yes, $14 million, but it's only for one year. It's basically for Jeffrey to prove that he can still play at a high level and maintain his health so that he can get the long-term contract, you know, if it's not with us, then somewhere else. So it's a good deal for us considering we are going to go wide receiver and defensive back heavy probably in the draft anyway with the uh, first couple of picks. So you can manage it in some ways where you see a big name, you give them the contract they want, but it does impact the rest of your roster because now you're having to cut key pieces significant to performance on your team. And if you don't have depth there to to at least fill some of the void of that departure, then you're left in no man's land. Uh, with the Patriots, they have a history of releasing players who pretty much either get too old or they know they're going to warrant too much money and they're happy to let them go to because they are good at grooming the next man up. Uh, now, where New England suffers is pretty much the same way where the Eagles suffer for a long time is that grooming wide receivers has not really been the mm-hmm. big thing with them. You know, um, overall, I'm not saying that Edelman and uh, Amendola aren't, you know, good wide receivers, but having that star player that, you know, every single week you have the game plan for that one guy, they never really had that outside of Moss. So the, you know, I guess it was two, three years that he was there. But defensively, they're great. You know, I, I see every single year that, you know, there's a big name on defense who's let go and the next man up fills that void. It's almost seamless. Because they, if they're not performing at the same high level, they're doing enough to make that defense click the way it should. So uh, just to close the book on the uh, Vikings and the Raiders here, the Vikings actually have made some some moves here this last week. They re-signed uh, wide receiver Adam Thielen, fantasy, uh, fantasy sleeper Adam Thielen, don't you think, Rob? Um, yeah, I, uh, I hear uh, his name is on the early list for a fantasy sleeper, probably because he had that one ginormous game towards the end of the year. And uh, Terrence Newman, a guy uh, that you're very familiar with, Kevin, ends up signing with Minnesota. Yeah, I was very disappointed in that. I was hoping that we would get a, a little one-year reunion with Terrence Newman. And I was also hoping the same with DeMarcus Ware, but he retired, so... 0 for 2 on former Cowboys in free agency. So a little a little sad. Well, Do you well, really just, want Newman back? <laughs> I do. Newman is still a quality cornerback. He really is. Uh, just to stick with you there uh, in Dallas, I, I just want to say the, the person at ESPN who wrote this line needs to be fired. Um, Dallas has agreed <laughs> to a one-year deal with guard Jonathan Cooper, according to a source, which will allow the team some flexibility on its offensive line with the departure of Ronald Leary and the impending retirement of Doug Free. So, Kevin, how comfortable do you feel with Jonathan Cooper as a replacement for Ronald Leary and Doug Free? Well, he's definitely not going to be the replacement for Doug Free because he's not a tackle. Um, but, yeah, Jonathan Cooper is the seventh overall pick in that in that great 2013 draft has been an, an epic bust. Um, 
But similar to Jonathan Cooper, the Cowboys got a guard from the Cardinals a while. They signed a guard from the Cardinals in the late 2000s. I'm forgetting his name at the moment. Leonard Davis, who was also a big talent and didn't pan out in Arizona, but he ended up making a Pro Bowl with Dallas. Um, so I'm obviously don't have those expectations for, for Cooper, but I mean, playing alongside the Cowboys offense line, which is the best in the league and compared to Arizona's, which isn't that good, not as bad as Minnesota, but I would say it's a bottom 10 offense line. There's some hope, but I wouldn't, um, count my chickens on Leonard, on, uh, on Cooper, Jonathan Cooper, but I mean, I suppose it does give us a little depth, um, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, Jonathan Cooper, who was part of the trade with the Arizona Cardinals for Chandler Jones, um, <laughs> did, couldn't couldn't beat out uh, Joe Tooney or Shaq Mason, the invisible Shaq Mason. Um, so, just just gonna say, I wouldn't feel too comfortable with Jonathan Cooper on your offensive line. Uh, as I'm with the Patriots, uh, they also signed uh, Bengals running back Rex Burkhead, um, which is an interesting signing. Uh, I think he sort of replaces – he's more of a special teamer than I think an every down back, although everything I'm reading, uh, oh, he'll be a great, you know, three or four down back. Like, I, I'm not so sure that that's exactly why they signed him. I think they signed him more – uh, for a special teams prowess. I think James White has done more than enough to earn the uh, quote-unquote starting role with New England. Um, if if for nothing else, the uh, Super Bowl performance by James White. Uh, and Dante Hightower, uh, maybe, maybe bearing the biggest lead, ends up back in New England despite having deals from Pittsburgh and the New York Jets. Uh, and ultimately signs with New England at a lesser amount. So again, back to that managing the salary cap, Rob. Uh, the Patriots also have a way of convincing these players to stick around for less money than they can get elsewhere. Yeah, it's funny what happens when you, when you can uh, promise the allure of uh, long playoff runs and getting some championship rings. You know, people are going to come uh, come play with you for less money. Uh, it's a very enviable position to be in. Uh, while we were kind of chatting with it before we started, I was thinking about the last time the Buffalo Bills and uh, signed with them with better offers on the table was in the same paragraph of an article. And I think the last time it happened was James Lofton. So, mm. you know, if that tells you anything. Uh, the Ravens uh, have been losing a lot of players I think, uh, and ended up trading their center, Jeremy Zuta, to San Francisco. And speaking of San Francisco, right now, the team with the most salary cap space is the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, so they can still do quite a bit of damage here in free agency, James. They can, but I don't see them doing anything right now until after the draft. Uh, this first free agency period, the first couple of days are always fast and frenzied, and then the next week or so pretty much lulls off, and the name or two here or there kind of comes off you know, the board of the best people available. After that first week fully of free agency, teams pretty much resign themselves to getting whatever it is they need out of the draft and their first or second round picks, and then they go back to free agency to fill whatever voids they still may have because they feel 
you know, whoever they drafted at a certain position may not be ready to start just yet or, you know, just insurance in case this guy doesn't pan out. So Frisco's pretty much doing what several other teams normally do. You know, they haven't spent anything big yet on anyone. I don't even recall them signing anyone up until this point. If they have, it's been, you know, very low-key. But um, they're pretty much all in on the draft right now to start things off with the new regime there. Oh, I, I, I'm so saddened that I forgot about this running back piece of news. Eddie Lacy signed with the Seattle Seahawks, although the question here, Kevin, is perhaps Eddie Lacy is better fit at a needed guard position as he weighs in over 267 pounds. That, that's true. Maybe the Cowboys should have invested in him instead of Jonathan Cooper. Um, it, would have given us a, it would have given us a little more depth at running back, which we sort of need as well. But, yeah, I'm, I don't really quite understand the Eddie Lacy signing. I mean, granted, it was pretty cheap, $5 million. But Eddie Lacy just doesn't seem to, to fit with the Seahawks. Um, he doesn't really catch the ball well. Um, I, don't, I don't think you the, the, the read option that Russell Wilson does, I mean, it's not, he doesn't do it as much as he did in 2013 and 14, but they, they still do implement that. I don't think Eddie Lacy is good for that. Um, in general, I don't think Eddie Lacy is that good. Um, I mean, I think Jamal Charles would have been a good signing for the Seahawks. They probably could have gotten him for cheaper and definitely on a one-year deal. And he's a great pass catcher. And I think him and Russell Wilson could be a dangerous combination. Um, but he does have injury history, but so does Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy missed like 14, 13 or 14 games last year. Um, and he's missed games in the past. So, I mean, I'm not really sure why i mean i do know why the seahawks signed him because they need running backs but i think they could have done better than than eddie lacy for sure well the idea there was that he'd pretty much be i'm not gonna say the second coming of marshawn lynch but marshawn lynch light because they they like to bruise teams in the running game and at his size well at least the size they want him to be at because currently he could literally hurt somebody but at 240 which is where they ideally want him running between the tackles downhill he could pretty much wear out a defense given enough carries. And again, yes, health is a big factor, but health notwithstanding, say he does play 12 of 16 games next season and he is able to give them, you know, at least what they're looking for because they didn't have that in Procise and Rawls last year. Um, Rawls, I think, only had maybe a handful of games where he had the impact that Lynch had on the defense in the previous years. And that was pretty much the main reason for Lacey signing. They, they want to get back to that bruising power running game as far as their offense goes, because they like to wear down the imposing team's defense. That way in the fourth quarter, when they can run the ball and should be running the ball, they can lean on it instead of having to put everything on Russell Wilson's shoulders. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do agree with you that they should get back to the power running game, but I think Thomas Rawls is, at this point, a better back than Eddie Lacy. I mean, he was highly successful in his rookie year before he got hurt, um, and he missed, like, the first half of this year, so it probably took him a while to get back. And not to mention the Seahawks. They can probably um, go toe-to-toe with the Vikings for the worst offensive line. Um, I mean, they just signed Luke Jokel to improve it. That's saying a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so going from the Packers, much like Latavius Murray going from the Raiders, Raiders and Packers have two of the best offense lines. He's going to the Seahawks. So he's a power runner. There's not going to be many um, holes for him to, to run through. So he's going to have to be breaking a lot of tackles. So I just, I'm not sure his hard-nosed running style is going to fit well behind that porous offensive line. 
James, uh, your team earlier in the week uh, ended up signing Nick Foles, obviously, as a backup quarterback. Uh, but you also released Chase Daniel. How do you feel about your quarterback depth? Um, same as I did last year. I mean, <laughs> it. <laughs> um, Nick Foles is, I don't know. I mean, Nick Foles, Chase Daniels, flip a coin. What, what's really the difference? We get a backup for cheaper. Um, the Chase Daniels signing, I think when he's um, – came over via trade or however we got him last year. It was $10, $12 million he was making per season. Nick Foles is only going to be making about, what, somewhere between six and eight max. So we save money against the cap in that signing. We get a younger player, um, and he's pretty much been in the West Coast system his entire career, minus that one season that he'd like to forget with the Rams. So, um not much to talk about with this one. It's just, you know, getting cheaper at the backup position. And uh, one more note I wanted to make here. The Jacksonville Jaguars cut veteran nose tackle Roy Miller on Sunday afternoon, which ended the tenure of one of the team's most well-liked players. I'm quoting directly from ESPN.com. Uh, I don't know who Roy Miller is. Uh, so <laughs> the fact that he's the team's most well-liked player, that's something I'm going to have to learn. As uh, I said this in Slack I don't believe I've officially made it public, but uh, I didn't get to comment on the A.J. Boye signing in Jacksonville. The Jacksonville Jaguars are my boyfriends for 2017, ladies and gentlemen. I love every move that they have made, and now they have to go out there and prove it. And normally uh, you could say, well, uh, shouldn't you let them sort of court you first, give them a year to sort of prove that they can do it? No. I'm not that kind of guy. I jump right in. Uh, they made themselves look real pretty, and I'm and I'm all in on the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. I like the moves that they've done. They're in a weak division. Uh, I think the Jags can uh, can make it happen here, Robert. I think they got the potential to do the same as well. Uh, their defense. I mean, at some point, it's got to it's got to turn the corner. It seems like every year they're adding high draft picks to that defense or adding you know big money guys. I mean, the times now that defense should come around as much as I dislike Doug Marone. He is a good coach. Um, I think he'll get more out of that defense than they got with their defensive coach, oddly enough, uh, that was there previously. I think really it all just comes down to Blake Bortles. If he continues to, you know, Bortles as the season goes on and throw pick sixes at the worst possible times and all of that, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for him. But if he can play well, they can do an offense that kind of caters to him. Marone will likes to be conservative on the on offense and likes to run the ball. I wouldn't be shocked if they actually ended up uh, drafting Fournette at four because he really kind of fits what uh, Marone likes kind of likes to do on offense. At least you know when he was in Buffalo, they ran the ball a lot. Um, they were one of the higher running teams in the league. Um, Granted, they didn't have good quarterback play. They had Kyle Orton, but, you know, whatever details. <laughs> um, but if they, you know, Blake Bortles didn't look that great last year either. He didn't look good at all. So, you know, if they can get him on track a little bit, I think that the division is definitely a possibility. But I hesitate to call that division to – I mean, it's a, a weak division, but, you know, you got one of the other teams that's been bad in that division. Tennessee is definitely on the upswing. 
and they spent some money to improve their defense. They also have two first-round picks, I believe, both in the top 15 this year and a very defensive-heavy draft. Um, if they can get Mariota some weapons, I think uh, those two teams, and plus Indianapolis still has Andrew Luck, um, I think it'll be kind of a fun division to watch. won't be the best division, but it'll be a fun division. I think that's can the I key. something about the Jags? You can, after I mentioned uh, my thoughts about Tennessee, is exactly what uh, Rob just said. I don't necessarily think that it's their defense that they should be focusing on with those first two picks. They need weapons around Mariota. Uh, they need to, to get that offense to be a little bit more explosive. Um, because, I I mean, I think their defense is good enough uh, to go up against the Texans as they're constructed currently, not with a Tony Romo, uh, obviously, Kevin. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think their defense is good enough to compete in that division as it is. They need more offensive weapons. Go ahead, Kevin, on the Jaguars. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Romo because how about this? Obviously, the Texans and the Broncos can be had in the Tony Romo sweepstakes. So how about, why can't he go to the Jags? Um, let's get, let's get the Jags take Leonard Fournette fourth overall. Doug Marone's an offensive, was an offensive line coach. As Rob said, he likes to run the ball, which will help protect Romo. They got Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, great pass catchers. Marquise Lee really improved a lot last year. I don't think it would be the worst situation for Romo, honestly. And if he does lead him to the playoffs, oh, he would be a savior. And then I could join you, Pod, in making them my boyfriends of 2017. This is uh, this has got potential. Let's make this happen. Let's make this happen, gentlemen. <laughs> Tony Romo. Just to a the recap, track. real quick. Who was your boyfriends last year? Uh, my boyfriends last year were the Kansas City Chiefs with the Raiders on the side. Ah, okay. Yep. So uh, they did pretty well. Uh, it was the previous year where my where I jinxed my boyfriend's the Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> and then of course you know like any good ex they had to come and try and shove it in my face in a Super Bowl, uh, and then uh, my true pride and joy, uh, you know my my husband's uh, put them back in their place. Okay, uh, that whole metaphor just took a whole nother level. <laughs> Uh, let's, uh, let's take a moment now to, uh, let a real NFL player talk about what it's like to play in the NFL, um, before we jump back into some more free agency talk. And I am referring to, uh, now veteran player, uh, Brandon Jackson. He is the Raiders defensive end. Uh, let's let him, let's, let's hear what I had to talk about here with Brandon Jackson. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the Next Fan Up podcast an old friend of ours. Uh, we talked to him last year at around this time, maybe a little bit later, about the upcoming NFL draft. And now uh, he's had a full year in the NFL, and that is the Raiders defensive end, Brendan Jackson. Hi, Brendan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing okay. I made it through the snowpocalypse and now it's uh it's time to move on. It's time for spring to arrive here in the northeast. Yeah, let's the let some sunshine start getting back there so I can make it back home and not have to deal with that. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh you're training down in Texas. How's uh how's the training going? Uh, it's hard. Hard training, good training, uh around a lot of young NFL athletes who are hungry, so the competition level is pretty high. 
Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, um, you spent most of the year uh, last season on the on the practice squad. You did get called to the regular roster towards the end of the season. How would you describe your rookie year in the NFL? Uh, I think my my rookie year was a pretty successful one. Uh, a guy like me coming in undrafted as a trial guy, um, you know, was a blessing in itself to be uh, to make the squad even as a, a practice squad player. But I mean, um, it was a testament to my hard work and the uh, organization's faith in me that they called me up and kept me up for the remainder of the year. So uh, I, I marked that off as a success. Uh, I got to put my footprint in a, in a few games, kind of get get my feet wet and get a credit season under my belt. So, um, yeah, a lot of the nerves have kind of left my body. And now next year is kind of like that second year in college. I'm kind of just eager and ready to really get out there. So what do you need to do during this off season to get yourself ready for next year? What is it that you're looking to work on the most uh, during this time? Uh, I got to work on my knowledge of the game. Um, I feel like one, the one thing I re- realized when I – got into actual preseason and, and regular season games was that I could play with them. I have the talent level, I have the strength, I have the speed, the football knowledge to play with the guys that are out there on Sundays. Um, what I have to work on is the uh, mental aspect and kind of knowing the game within the game, knowing other people's schemes and how they play, knowing other people's tendencies, knowing how to react if something comes our way, things like that. And that's something that I've learned from Khalil. As great as a player he is, as gifted as he is, um, he knows what his opponent is trying to do and what he's trying to do. It, uh, it makes him that much harder to stop. How much time do you spend with Khalil sort of learning the tricks of the trade? Uh, you you ever been at the at the barbecue? You got that fly, you could have sworn the raid or the, 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 the uh, repellents had killed him already. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. uh, It's kind of like, all right, Brandon, leave me alone before I actually leave him alone. But I'm kind of in his ear ask a lot of questions or I'm uh, just sitting there monitoring kind of, you you know, you're like you're walking, you feel someone kind of just watching you. That's kind of me just trying to imitate and <laughs> understand what it is that he does trying to, because clearly he has a jump on the NFL. It's something that he's noticing the others in. So I'm just kind of, I was observing him like he's like a little a mouse in a, in a, in a lab, a lab rat, so, so to speak. Uh, so free agency has been going on now in the NFL for uh, well, not quite a week, but close enough. Uh, and the Raiders have been sort of quiet. Is uh, it, where do you think your team needs to uh, improve to make it to that next level? Um, I'm not. I'm not really sure. You know, I, I feel like we had a solid core, and um, there's some pieces we need to touch up, upon. You know, we as a Raiders organization and just the history of the Raiders, we know for sure we're going to improve on defense, no matter how good we were, how good we could have been. Uh, it's always going to be a focal point to to uh, improve on the defense because, you know, defense wins championships. Uh, I'm sure we'll go ahead and get a couple more pieces to uh, keep uh, D.C. being as explosive as their offense was and make sure that he's protected also. We uh, we signed a tackle from the Giants who come help us um, pretty soon. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really concern myself too much with that. I know that we'll add pieces on defense to, uh, so that we can – be dominant, and I know that we'll have play, players on offense to be explosive and to protect D.C. So uh, my my job is just to be a part of the organization, be a part of the uh, solution, and not become one of the guys they, they try to shop around. 
You know, we're a show for the fans, by the fans, and a popular opinion amongst the fans was your season definitely would have gone a, a much different route had Derek Carr stayed healthy uh, through the entire season. What was the morale of the team like when uh, Derek got injured? Uh, you know, I I don't think the, the D.C. being injured really affected the team team's morale until after the season. Uh, during the season when it happened, it was kind of the next man up. We had a lot of faith in um, the backup quarterback, and we thought that, you know, uh, McGregor would get it done. And we we had been battle-tested and lost lost and been injured positions all year. You know, we had one of the better offensive lines, but we had shuffled the offensive line about 12 times that season. Um, defensive line, you know, I started to pick it up later on in the season. But the, the majority of the year, we were shuffling the defensive line also. And uh, same thing with the secondary. So we just always got the mentality of next man up. Coach Real always preaches that uh, you get what you earn in this league. No one cares if you have someone hurt. No one cares that if your best player isn't playing, you know, you got to go out there and still get on Sunday. So uh, it wasn't until after the season when we actually sat back and said, you know what, if D.C. wouldn't have got hurt, it may have been a little bit different. But um, as far as the morale during the season – uh, it kind of never affected us. I mean, uh, I'm a big Patriots fan, uh, and, and I know that uh, I definitely know that that game would have gone a lot differently had it been Derek Carr under center than uh, than your backup. Um, yeah, you know, it was. Is that sort of the? Uh, it, was that sort of the the feeling at the end of the season? Like, man, if if only. Yeah, um, at the end of the season, it, it was it was it was more so. Man, you see what we were able to do. We still made it to the postseason. We uh we shut Texans because Texans came out with a great game plan in our postseason game, and they moved the ball pretty well first half. In the second half, they couldn't move it an inch, and we uh kind of held them scores the second half. And then so after the season, it was more so. Man, you, did you see the way we played that? The way we ended the season on defense, how we shut down their offense, how they weren't able to move the ball. Just imagine us doing that for four quarters with Derek with Derek Carr under the center. We could be a real scary team. So that was more the uh, feeling afterwards. And uh, being a Patriots fan, shout out to you because that that performance that Tom Brady just put on was one of the greatest things I've I've watched in the Super Bowl in my life. And uh, he sure is something special, I tell you. It trust me. It took me it it took me five Super Bowl rings to finally admit it. Um, you know, I've been a Patriots, I've been a Patriots fan my whole life, and I'm now 42 years old. Uh, and when Brady took the job from Drew Bledsoe, and and for me, Drew Bledsoe was the guy who saved our franchise. Um, you know, I had a lot of animosity. I was like, hey, "How dare you steal my man's job?" Uh, yeah. But you know, it uh, that Super Bowl was definitely something special, and um, I, I I can't imagine anyone else thinking that they haven't seen the greatest quarterback of all time uh, play. Uh, it's just to me, I, I think he cemented that that spot with that performance. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I just, that game really took me back to being a fan. It wasn't no, I wasn't looking at the game like, man, this, we should be out there. It, what, there was no hang going on or no uh, wishful thinking. Like, man, I wish I was out here. I, I, why the Patriots I was winning? I was actually a fan. I was watching. I was like, man, this is a, this is a great point. This is great for sports just to be able to come back the way they did and dominate and, the thing is, like, the flow of the game, I just never thought it was out of reach just because of his body work. And I was like, man, Brady, uh, Atlanta better come with something because Brady, they're, they're giving him too many chances. Just, you're not going to shut out a Belichick team for too long. 
So that was real good to see. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the thing now when if you guys end up playing the Patriots at some point down the road and you guys are up uh, by four touchdowns, by four scores, you, at halftime, you're still going to be like, oh, this game ain't over yet, everybody. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I don't think they're ever going to get anyone to, to relax now after that performance. Um, speaking of uh, other teams, what team uh, do you feel is like your most hated rival? Because our our Raiders super fan uh, has has an idea, but he wants to know what, who you think uh, you guys hate the most. Uh, I would say if, if we got to get technically, we hate the most the uh, the 49ers. That mm. just being across the bay, we run across the bridge. I feel like that's the most hated team because we're in most competition with them as a fan split down the middle, things like that. But being as though we don't get to play them very often right. yet at all because of the, uh, the the drama that pours after games when we played them back in the day. I think recently it, it might have moved on to the Broncos. Mm-hmm. Broncos may be the Chargers because of that. Uh, Philip Rivers, the competitive guy, and he – Oh, man, for a quarterback, I've never met someone who shit it. So, whatever they were the Chargers or Broncos. Yeah, our super fan wants to know, how do you feel about Aqib Tlaib over there on the Broncos? And and did it make you angry that your punter ended up taking selfies with him during the Pro Bowl? <laughs> you know, during that, that, what he did in the game was just was unsportsmanlike. It was, it was corny. And it, it really did make us mad. It was like, we're, we're, the fact that he thought about that the, the entire game, because he, he missed the first game against us, so I guess he was mad that we whooped up on him pretty bad. And he came out and did that. Um, it, it angered us in the silent. Five of us were mad. Um, but uh, after the season, whenever uh, Marquette had been down to Pro Bowl, and he did that, it was kind of looked at us. Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. Personally, I wouldn't have did that, but it wasn't no. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't feel any type of way about it. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, they're just at the Pro Bowl having fun. Let it go, but I mean, something I would never have done because we go to war with Crabtree every every day. You know, what I mean, every week we work to win, and that's kind of uh, a little slap in the face. But it was nothing that was talking about amongst the team. It's kind of like I just Marquette having fun the Pro Bowl. Just let it go. Mm. It's nothing talked about yet, but I'm sure uh, I'm sure during training camp maybe there'll be a couple of posters or two hanging up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there might it might be some. Some uh, bulletin board material. All right, last uh, last thing I've got for you here, Brandon. Um, and I think I've asked you this about this before, but um, the the Raiders and the potential move to Las Vegas. Sort of, what what are you hearing as a player, and and what are your feelings about it as a player? You know what? I haven't heard much about it. Um, I heard there was. It was they was looking real likely, and then there was a pullout, and then there was a gain of sponsorship and things like that. So it was kind of up in the air and everywhere. Um, I know that I don't concern myself too much with it because until the NFL come down and vote, it doesn't matter how many sponsors you get. You know, they can the NFL teams can get together and just say no. So it's not something that anyone's really talking about. It's kind of uh, things you see in the media, I guess, trying to to keep the fans interested and things like that. But as Personally, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to leave Oakland. I love the fans. I love the way they treat us, and I love that uh, the historic pride that comes with being the silver black and coming out of Oakland. So, I mean, as a as a Raider, you know, I, I think that we should stay in Oakland, but we'll see how it goes. 
All right, I lied to you. I actually do have an, I alluded to it at the beginning of the show. You know, last year at this time, you were getting yourself ready for the NFL draft. What what sort of advice do you have for those kids that are going to be uh, heading to draft day uh, this year? Uh, only advice I have now is that uh, don't don't get confused or misled by people saying that they're going to call you or, or they call you and say, you know what, we're going to take you to the next round. If something, something don't happen, you know, don't kind of just, Take time to enjoy the people you're around. Make sure you're around the closest people, your family, and don't stress too much about when or if you'll get a call. And if you don't get a call, that's just another uh, chip you put on your shoulder and go out there and grind because it's not the end. Just because you don't get drafted, it's not the end if you're not a priority free agent. There's always uh, there's always room to grow and there's room to uh, prove people wrong. So just keep grinding. There you go. Brendan Jackson, defensive end for the Oakland Raiders. They're still Oakland. And even when they move to Las Vegas, I will call them the Las Vegas Raiders of Oakland uh, until they <laughs> until they earn their until they earn it to be the Las Vegas Raiders. Brendan, thanks so much for joining us and uh, good luck to you. All right. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Brendan Jackson, proud to be a Raider. Uh, thinks that the Raiders should forever be in Oakland. Uh, I'm sure that's how a lot of the fans in Oakland are feeling right about now. Didn't get to talk to him so much about uh, playing in a professional stadium uh, versus the <laughs> versus the stadium that they're currently in, uh, which was a question that Monty had sent me to ask him. Uh, but he, we did talk a little bit about that Vegas thing. You know, Vegas has gone sort of under the radar. When are the owners meeting to vote on this? Anybody know? I haven't heard anything about the owners taking a vote on this yet. I just kept hearing that investors are pulling out, and then one investor was rumored to pull out and didn't, and then the Raiders coming in to refute that all of the investors didn't pull out and new investors were coming in to replace the ones that did, and but nothing about a vote yet. Yeah, this has all got to be settled here rather soon. Or I mean, the Raiders are going to end up uh, angering the Oakland people to a point where they're not going to have stadium to play in at all. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I want to jump back into free agency and not so much about the guys that have signed, but the guys that are still left. Uh, there's quite a number of great names. And as I mentioned before, uh, you know, San Francisco still has a lot of holes that they need to fill. And there's a couple of guys on that are out there that I think could still fill some of those holes and one position in particular that hasn't had a lot of movement is the uh, big defensive tackles or the nose tackles. Uh, Don Terry Poe is still available. Jonathan Hankins is still available. Uh, what seems to be the deal with not wanting to pony up for the big fat men on the defensive side here, uh, Rob? Well, I think Don Terry Poe, he, um, he just finished his tour um, visiting a couple spots. He got, um, he got some free meals in, uh, I believe four different cities. Uh, so good for him. Mm. Um, I, he's looking for kind of a one year deal and going to retry hitting the market. Um, I think for, for him, you know, I mean, he's such a big guy that is he now just, you know, like a two down, you know, run plugging type guy. You know, is kind of maybe the question for him or is, you know, or is it just how much that he is he looking for? Um, the other guy that you mentioned is the guy I like of the two of those be Jonathan Hankins. Um, you know, the, I'm sure that uh, Kevin could say probably better than me because I didn't see too much as far as, you know, Giants games. But 
you know, I mean, he's a young guy. I think he's 24 years old, kind of on that upswing, um, you know, disruptive guy, very good um, against the run, um, which, uh, you know, kind of, you know, he's playing that defensive tackle role. You know, he was next to snacks last year in the Giants and they did a good job, you know, stopping the run right up in the middle. Um, so I think, you know, between those two guys, Hankins would be the guy I'd look towards. Uh, that being said, I don't know why, you know, in particularly these two guys aren't, you know, getting the money. Maybe they're just asking for too much or, you know, their agents uh, pumping up with ideas of huge contracts that you're just not going to see. All right, Kevin. Uh, Rob threw it to you. Go for it. Um, I mean, I, I do agree with Rob Johnson. Hankins has a lot of potential. I mean, I think he had a, a bit of a down year last year. He was still good, but I don't think he was good last year as he was um, in 2015. But that being said, I'm surprised no one has taken a risk at him because like Rob said, he's only 24 years old. Um, he's got boatloads of potential and talent. Um, but the Giants obviously don't want to re-sign him. Um, I mean, and pretty for pretty for pretty good reason. They have Snacks Harrison now. You don't really need two massive run stuffers this day and age. Um, I would love the Cowboys to get their hands on Jonathan Hankins. I really would. But what I read, he's looking for something in the eight million plus range, and I just don't think the Cowboys can do that. I would love them to, but I don't think they can. Um. And then as far as Don Terry Poe is concerned, I would once again love the Cowboys to get him, but he's probably looking for even more money than Jonathan Hankins. Um, he's also super young, only 26 years old. Uh, his pass rush has slowed down the past few years, but he has proven that he can get to the passer. Um, he's recorded seven sacks in the season before, and someone of his size, 350 pounds, getting seven sacks, that's wildly impressive. Um, so those are two defensive tackles I am actually very surprised that haven't been signed, and I expect them to be signed relatively soon. Um, but another, some other people that I'm surprised haven't been signed, um, I mean, one person who I know the reason why he hasn't been signed is Nick Mangold because of injury concerns and uh, his age. But there are plenty of teams who need uh, offensive line help, and I imagine that he would be really cheap on a one-year deal, um, so not much risk and a whole lot of reward because I think if he's healthy and on the field, he can still be a top six, seven center in the league. So I think Nick Mangold should be given another chance. And then another person that I'm super, super surprised that hasn't been signed is Zach Brown. Just so you know, breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, as we record the podcast, Don Terry Poe, has agreed to terms with the Atlanta Falcons. Bagnabbit. <laughs> James, you were hoping perhaps an Eagle visit was in uh, was due for Don Terry Poe? I was hoping anywhere but Atlanta. I mean, obviously his days were numbered, or pretty much he was on the outs with Kansas City when they pretty much ponied up the money for Eric Berry, and then, unfortunately, one of my players... Um, Benny Logan went and signed a one-year $8 million deal with Kansas City, which pretty much meant Don Terry Poe was not coming back. Um, he was as recently looking more so at Indy and Jacksonville, but when I heard about him looking into Atlanta earlier this morning when I pulled up this list, I was like, please, please don't, please don't. <laughs> and <laughs> there he is, si si signing with Atlanta. So, um, 
good for Atlanta. You know, um, it will bolster their budgeting and up and coming defensive line, but uh, get some help to Vic Beasley so that, uh, you know, he doesn't see as many double teams. Uh, but yeah, up, up until this moment, yes, I was surprised on Terry Poe wasn't yet signed uh, as far as Jonathan Hankins. I'm really can't say that I'm not surprised he hasn't been signed. Again, it was a down year. He was overshadowed by Snacks Harrison all of last season for the most part. Um, teams are probably worried of that um, because you tend to catch eyes as far as a new contract when you perform in the last year of your current deal as opposed to having an off year on the last year of your current deal. And um, for Jonathan Hankins, that may have hurt him more so than he realizes. But, geez, Poe to the Falcons. Um, I, I know quite a few Falcon fans who will be very ecstatic about this signing. Uh, is there a guy that uh, you're surprised hasn't signed yet, James? Uh, right now, uh, other than, well, up until this moment, it was Poe. Uh, another name off the list that actually that jumps out, LeGarrette Blunt. I'm surprised he hasn't re-signed with the Patriots, considering his role and how happy it was. The last time he was a free agent from the Patriots, he went to Pittsburgh, gotten some hot water, re-signed with the Patriots, and won that Super Bowl against the Seahawks a couple of years ago. So um, definitely um, surprised that, you know, he's not back with New England at this point. And I know they went out and signed, was it Rex Burkhardt? Yep, I, I don't understand Burkett. I don't understand that signing. Um, I thought the Patriots' three-headed monster backfield was pretty much perfect as is. Any of those guys, White, Blunt, and um, who's the third one I'm thinking of? Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis. Any of them can go off at any given time, provided you know they catch the rhythm of the game and the game plan is then suited to what they do best. Blunt's pretty much the budgeting power back Deion Lewis is your speed back and white is your all around, you know, pass catcher out of the backfield inside, outside, he does everything. So they, they had backs that fit a mold for everything that needed to be done with blunt still unsigned. I'm like, where's that power game come from now when you need it most? James Devlin. I think that's sort of, <laughs> I think that's where I've I've said this for a long time, specifically referencing the New England Patriots. Their best backs have always been the Kevin Falk type guy, that third down back. And I've always wondered why they didn't just construct their running back core where they had three or four pass catching running backs and just rotate them in to keep them fresh through the entire game. Now, yes, when you get down in the goal line, that provides a problem because that littler guy is less likely to, you know, punch it in from the one or the two yard line. But you mentioned it. You just mentioned it. James White. And I, and I'm using that Super Bowl as a perfect example. James White is in every down back that can do everything that's asked of him. He can punch it in between the tackles. He can run it outside with his speed and he's a pass catching back as well. Dion Lewis may not be able to go inside the tackles as well, but still has that third down back capability. Now you bring in this Rex Burkhead kid uh, who also has special teams, plays a lot on special teams, has that pass catching ability. He might be, I think he's a little bulkier than the other two. So he might be that goal line quote unquote type of back, but he too 
offers uh, similar skills. So now when you are looking for that bigger back, you look at their big fullback that they re-signed in James Devlin, who can also play H-back as a tight end, as as a third tight end top option uh, behind Gronk and uh, Dwayne Allen. So I'm not so, uh, as a matter of fact, considering how much it was probably going to cost to bring LeGarrette Blunt back, I'm not so concerned about him returning to New England. Now, where I think LeGarrette Blunt will do best because he is an aging running back, his speed is not as quick as you might believe, considering some of the outstanding runs that he's had over the past two seasons in New England, uh, where he's had some breakaways and some 50 and 60 yard scampers. I think Oakland is a good place for LeGarrette Blunt to end up in. Uh, if he has a quality offensive line that he can run behind, he's still going to perform at a high level. Uh, I don't. I think his time in New England, honestly, is over. Let's see here. Uh, th- there are a lot of great names, and especially as I go deeper on the NFL.com top 100 or 101, you know, I'm looking at some of these guys, you know, Chris Long is a guy, I guess that that ship has sailed for New England, but I think Chris Long is a great defensive end for the right team. Uh, He may not be an elite pass rusher, but do you really need an elite pass rusher? And now I'm going to talk about a conversation that we super fans had on Slack, where I brought up the fact that I don't think you need an elite pass rusher. I would rather have an elite cornerback. Uh, and I was immediately shot down by a number of uh, different super fans, but some super fans did come to my uh, come to my side. But uh, Rob, uh, we we had a quick conversation before we started the show. Uh, you feel that a great pass rusher more important than a great cornerback? Yeah, I mean, especially in this day and age. I mean, um, at the end of the day, if there you're going against a good, you know, a top level cornerback. Um, you know, you could do, there's a variety of things that you can do to kind of, you know, make that situation, you know, still attainable for you to move the ball. You can, uh, you know, run motion. You can just run four or five receiver sets and just avoid, you know, that cornerback, you know, maybe, you know, we talked about this 10, 15 years ago, you know, Dion, you know, when teams were just running, you know, straight, you know, two running back tight end, two wide receiver personnel, you know, 75%, then sure. A Deion Sanders is a, you know, a franchise starting caliber player, you know, because he's taking control of half the field. Um, but in this day and age, you can have, you know, a team like Atlanta that has multiple um, weapons. Um, so even if, you know, you know, even if you try to take, you know, to take out Julio Jones, they have the two-headed running backs that they could throw to, uh, who are both very good at you know catching the ball, um, you know, and then they ha- also have the other receivers um, as well. Other teams, you know, are equipped with uh, two tight ends, um, which the cornerback is never, you know, his chances are never going to cover. So you have you know game plan options. Now, if you have an elite pass rusher, what do you do to stop him? So say he's uh, going against your left tackle and he's beating him all day. So now you're going to double team him. And, uh, you know, if he's an elite guy, there's a possibility that can't work. So now you need your tight end and your running back to chip at him. That's going to or or your offense has to go into basically max protect. And, you know, if you're doing you're doing things like that, it's going to be a lot harder, you know, to move the ball. So I just think from, 
the way that one player can disrupt a game, uh, you know, a field of 22 players, uh, defensive end or defensive tackle, for that reason, I guess it doesn't really matter, if that is an elite pass rusher, can get to the quarterback, you know, we're talking top three, at top three to top five at the position, to me is more important than, you know, a top three, top five cornerback. See, to me, uh, a top cornerback can shut down half the field where you don't even have an option to to go to that side of the field in the passing game. You can only look at the other half of the field. And depending on what half you cut off, you make that throw that much more difficult for that quarterback to make that decision, to make that quick decision. And even still, your second cornerback doesn't have to be, you know, the worst cornerback in the world. He could still be an average cornerback and make things even more difficult for the quarterback to make that decision. And then you end up with coverage sacks uh, where you don't have that elite pass rusher because the elite cornerback has, you know, shut down the passing game. And now uh, your average pass rusher gets to the quarterback and still makes the play. Um, But honestly, I think what we're both sort of saying is the two positions kind of go hand in hand. Kevin, what are your thoughts here? Um, I do agree that they go hand in hand, but I would uh, give the the nod to Rob here. Um, That may be because the Cowboys haven't had a pass rush since DeMarcus Ware left. Um, So I am used to watching a quarterback sit in the pocket all day and just dissect the defense. Um, seemingly every wide receiver being open. Um, but I, I think Rob's right. In this day and age when everyone's passing, three wide receiver sets are the norm, a lot of four wide receiver sets, you need to get after the pass rusher on a consistent basis or your defense will end up looking like the Colts or the Cowboys. Um, I mean, not to say that cornerbacks aren't important, but I've watched Patrick Peterson be burned numerous games, not only by Julio Jones. I've watched him struggle before. Um, I've watched Sherman had, had have a few rough games. So with all the, the speed and talent wide receivers and quarterbacks have these days, well, not speed for the quarterbacks, obviously, it's just getting harder and harder to play cornerback, especially with all the, the defensive rules now. It's just not as easy to be, to be successful at cornerback. And I think there's becoming – less and less better cornerbacks in the league. Um, So I don't, not to say it's not as important, but like, I think you can live with the Brandon Cars and, and Morris Claiborne's of the world. If you have an Aaron Donald or a Michael Bennett, I really do. Um, So that's why I have to agree with Rob, but it is a close call. All right, James, help me out here. or, Or am I going to remain in the minority? Uh, you're going to remain in a minority for the most part. Um, I'm sorry. Look, as a fan of a team that once had the late, great Reggie White, you you can understand why I say I'm siding with the defensive end more so than the corner. Now, don't get me wrong. Both go well in tandem. If If you can have good players at both positions, great. But if you have to choose a great person, a great player at either or, I'm going to lead towards defensive end more so than corner. And just by the earlier argument, all the things you have to do offensively to counteract that guy. And I'm going to stick on Reggie White. 
you know, in his day when he was with Philadelphia, quarterbacks used to come to the line, and before they even step on the center, they're looking for 92. Like, where, where is he? Is he on the left side? Is he on the right side? Is he lined up over the center? Like, wh- where is this guy? So we can figure out, one, what the protection is. Two, how long in my head do I have to throw this ball? Because as soon as I snap it, he's going to be breathing down my neck. You know, three, do you use the running back to chip? Well, if the running back's chipping, that's, a, that's your safety valve pretty much being occupied so that someone else can come through and blindside you because now your safety valve is not going out in the route. He has to make sure he chips the end inside to the guard, you know, or at least help the tackle out enough so you're not getting killed in three and a half seconds. You know, um, then you shift the line one way. If you even not even say max protect, if you slide the line one side, you're taking away half of the field already. So there goes your taking away half the field with the cornerback because the defensive end can now virtually do the same thing if you're rotating just to one side of the field. So if you cause problems on the defensive line initially, everything else falls apart. Now, I do agree with your argument that if you have a world-class corner, a la Deion Sanders in his heyday, you pretty much, you know, come up on the center as the quarterback and you're looking, oh, 21's over there, I'm not throwing to that side. Or I'm not throwing to that guy no matter where he goes. It doesn't matter which route that receiver runs, there's some corners you're just not testing. Now, not to say that the current corners in the league are, you know, not as great as Deion Sanders. They all have their strengths and their weaknesses. Some guys are not straight burners, meaning if you put the speed guy on certain corners, no matter how great they are, they're still going to get beat. Some, some of these corners still fall for double moves on a consistent basis. So there, there are ways to beat a great corner because we haven't seen anyone in a true shutdown capacity really covering a wide receiver since Deion in his prime. And as good as all the current top corners are, they're not that level, and they probably never will be. You know, Sherman still gets beat on double moves um, because he's constantly peeking into the backfield. You know, um, but he has an eraser behind him in great safeties who can, you know, help out over the top if he does take that bite. But one-on-one, eh, that's questionable. And then you have the epitome of certain corners being either straight zone corners or man corners. No zone corners, they're good in space, but if they have to lock up a guy one-on-one, odds are there's a good 80% chance they'll be called for pass interference. And man corners thrown in zone sometimes lose containment as far as what side of the field or how much of the field they should be covering to when a receiver comes into their space, when they should be jumping around, when they should be floating back, especially if two receivers flood their area. They often make the wrong decision. So I'm going to have to stick with the defensive end because if you can disrupt the offensive line in any capacity whatsoever, you've already destroyed the play at the onset. All right. Clearly, clearly I'm just one more thing. I promise I'll be quick. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Just let's take the Patriots, for example, what's the, the best way to beat Tom Brady is to get him anxious and to get his feet moving in the pocket, which disrupts his accuracy. So let's take the, the 2007 and 2012 Giants. I mean, I hate to compliment them, but it's a perfect example, really. Their secondary wasn't that good, but they they made Brady uncomfortable 24-7 pretty much the whole game. Um, so I promised I'd make it short, so that's it. Again, well, yeah, I suppose. Uh, 
I need some help here, people. Send in those emails, <laughs> nextfanup at gmail.com. You can tweet us at NFU Podcast. And of course, you can continue the conversation on our Facebook page uh, right underneath this episode, which will be posted. Uh, we would love to hear from you and hear what you think. And, and perhaps I'll find an expert out there that sort of agrees with me. Maybe this next guy who actually plays the game of football uh, will agree with me. I'm going to have to ask. It's uh, Fred Payne. He's a draft prospect out of uh, Western Carolina. Uh, he's a strong safety. So I wonder which way he'll lean. I'm going to have to ask him that right now. It's my pleasure now to bring in young draft prospect Fred Payne from Western Carolina, strong safety. And uh, Fred, I got to jump right into it. And I got to ask you about your name. Uh, did you decide to be a strong safety because you bring the pain on the football field all the time? Uh, you know, you know, I get that a lot. Nah, it's just actually just one of those names that kind of just fit it with the football football criteria, man. It just it just always stuck with me since I was a defensive player. It always people used to always say bring the pain. So I mean, it was always like a little a little joke, a little funny, little fun stuff behind it, man. Uh. And, and in a more serious note, I got to ask you about that first name uh, because Fred is short for Fred Tavius. Where did your parents come up with Fred Tavius? Uh, it was actually my father. My father named me. And, um, he wanted to be something different. It sounded it sounded pretty cool when he first came up with it, and it and then he he said it, it's one in a million, man. You you probably the only person in America with that name. And so I was like, man, I'm one of a kind. So that's. That's why I, I look at myself as just being one of a kind, like like nobody else. I love it. I love it. Uh, and frankly, I think you should go by Fred Tavius more than you go by Fred, if you don't yeah, mind I, me saying. I hear that a lot. People people think it's really interesting because when they hear it the first time, they're like, "Man, I ain't never heard that before." I mean, Fred Tavius brings the pain. I mean, it works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you actually, uh, you do bring the wood quite a bit. I've seen the, uh, I, I've seen your highlights. Uh, you had uh, quite a number of big time plays over your career. I mean, is that sort of what would you say is the strength of your game out on the football field? Um, I would say all of them. Man. I'm an all around player. I like, I like to play in the ball if I have to. Man, I like to go out and cover guys on an island. So I mean, I just, I just love football. I, I say my strength is just. Being so versatile that it allows me to play most positions to use my talent and my my ability as far as being smart on a football film that comes from film study. So it allows me to play fast and have fun and just let let everything else take care of itself. What was uh, what was your favorite play? Do you have a favorite play? A favorite moment on the football field? I say my favorite moment had to be um, against Texas A&M on the goal line with their running back stopping him, like on the one. Me and him went head to head, and he's like a he was like a two forty pound at running back, and I was only like one ninety five, two hundred. And me and him went head to head on the goal line, and then to stop him on third down, it was it was pretty big. Listen, there might be a moment in your career where you have to face Eddie Lacy uh, at two sixty seven. So you never know. <laughs> But but I, but let me let me go back. I might I might say my favorite play of all time might might be my first interception of college football, and that was against Auburn my mm. freshman year. That, that might that was might be my my favorite play. Uh, both of them obviously huge plays against big time schools. I mean, did you find 
when playing against those bigger name schools, uh, did you feel sort of a, a, a need to bring uh, even more of yourself to the field on those games? Yeah, I mean, I every time we played a big team, I always I gave myself the mindset of, man, this is where I belong. This is where I should have been. I should have been playing on the field with these guys. And so I never want to give a team too much credit because came from a bigger school. Just I mean, they got to put on their pads and strap up their laces just like we do. And so every every time you step out of that field, you got to bring it, no matter if it's a big school or if it's a D1 school, I mean a D2 school, you know what I'm saying? I look at everybody the same with the same respect and I prepare everyone the same way. I like it. Hey, we were just talking earlier on the show about uh, what what you'd rather have on a football field, a great pass rusher or a great defensive back. I have a feeling uh, due to your position, you might lean one way. So let me, what, if you were building a perfect team, would you start with a great pass rusher or would you start with a great defensive back? Man, I, I start with a great pass rusher. I mean, cause really? the game is controlled. The game is controlled up front. I mean, the, the pass rusher is, is, is the one who allows me to to make the play, to make the interceptions or pass breakups because they can disrupt time and they could they can they can cause confusion to the quarterback before I could. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm in coverage and I gotta chase a guy who's running downfield and I'm going defending the pass that's not even thrown my way. So I mean. The pass rusher is very huge in a, in a sequence. So I go get a great defensive lineman, then go get another defensive back because they work hand in hand. I mean, you can't have one without the other. I mean, the D back gonna make the D lineman look good if he's covering very well. So it gives it knock off the um, timer as well. So I mean, I mean, you need both. But I start up front because I mean, those guys are really what's harder to find. You could always go find a playmaker somewhere. Bartavius, you've left me alone on an island here. I'm all alone out here. I, listen, as a as a great defensive back, you can shut down half the field. Plus, uh, yes, by sir. covering, by keeping the guy covered as long as you do, you allow that uh, defensive end or outside but, linebacker to make his way to the, the quarterback. But just, but just but just imagine if you're on that island by yourself and say say you don't have no good pass rush or the quarterback got all day. And so, if, I mean, the quarterback can sit in the pocket as long as he can. He'll pick your defense apart no matter how good your secondary is. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's, just, it's just about timing, man. He He's sitting there too long, man. That's, 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 that's worried of secondary because, I mean, it, you got double cover guys, and then you talk about more time. So, that, with the receivers nowadays in the league now, it's it's pretty tough. And I really thought the defensive back was going to join me on my on on my <laughs> on my campaign for great defensive yes, backs. Well, yes, you know, man, I love it, man. You know, I'm all in for D backs, but I gotta gotta get the big boys up front some credit too, man, because they without them it ain't nothing possible. Listen, uh, I've I've spoken to a, a couple of other draft prospects uh, this season, and Jordan Bowman uh, gave me a great question that I can now ask all of you, and that's, uh, what would be your superpower if you could choose a superpower? What would be my superpower? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I'll, I'll be the one with the fire, man, because I'll be the mm. guy who brings the energy, who who could just destroy anything that's 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 in, in front of them, you know what I'm saying? And it's and once the fire get going, it's hard to put out. And everybody plays it, and that's what something I play with. I play with that fire and that energy to to give everybody that 
that spirit that you know what I'm saying. I hear you. I like it. I, I like it a lot. It's uh, it you know when you're going out on that field, you got to play with passion. If you don't have the passion, there's no reason for you to be out on the field. And uh, that sort of brings me to the next question for you: is you know you were you were a senior finance ma- <laughs> major in college with a 3.2 GPA. Why in the world would you put yourself through? all of the pain, if you will, on a football field and not, and not use that brain of yours to good work. You, you don't have to put your, you don't have to go through all that, Fred. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, it's, it's two sides of everything, man. You got to have the brains and athletic ability. And, and when I was younger, man, I had, I had older guys who had a lot of potential and a lot of talent who could have had the same opportunity as me, but they just didn't have the grades. And so that was, that was something that, they they pounded on me at an early age, like you gotta focus on your studies just as much as football. And then they showed me how your studies can help you make plays in football because you start understanding understanding offense. You get to understand the concepts and knowing what what like what teams like to do. And so it kinda of puts you in the head start almost like a cheat sheet, uh put you in position what you think can happen. It don't mean it necessarily can happen, but you also have an edge of what might can happen and it give you a, a jump on it instead of just sitting there anticipating not knowing anything. So, I mean, I, I, like, I like having the brains and the studies and everything behind it because it all, it all plays a role. You know, Fred, uh, and, and you seem to be the complete package here because not only have you been great on the football field, not only have you been great in school, but uh, I've been reading about how you, you give back to the Boys and Girls Club uh, in your area. And uh, I want to give you a moment to sort of talk a little bit about that and sort of what brought you into all that. Well, it is, um, I was I was helped raise through the community. Um, I come from a single-parent home, so it was always – I was always active in sports, and I always got a right around like great support systems and a, and a community put their hands around me. So it, it's more to me just giving back to the community because they they helped me show the ropes. They they done everything for me and put me in position to where I can help others to help the next generation because because I don't I don't want nobody to go through the same situation that I've been through, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it's and it's a lot of guys who got a similar story to me as far as that that group in a single parent home and and you just gotta you just gotta do what you have to do to make plays. So that that kind of been my biggest motivation, like with the boys and girls club, because the boys and girls club was a way of it gave me something to do outside of school. I mean, it it was it was a place where I learned where to take school seriously, but also knew where to have fun, and it taught me a lot of discipline. As far as when I do things around people, if I'm at home or if I'm in school or on a football field, so I mean that's why I always want to give back to the boys and girls club as much as I can. It's uh, it's it's awesome work that you're doing there, Fred. And uh, you know, my uh, I I really hope the best for you come draft weekend. Where where are you going to be on draft weekend? Um, I, I should I should be here in Atlanta. Uh, I'm supposed to meet up with my best friend, my longtime brother Deshaun, and. I know he's probably gonna be somewhere um in Indianapolis late for the draft day, but I'll probably be here right home at in Atlanta. Excellent. Well, listen, it's too bad that uh the XFL isn't around anymore because I would love to see Fred Tavius on the back of a jersey. Uh yes, but sir. uh but Peen will look just as good on the back of uh some team's jersey out there. Fred, thanks so much for joining us on the next Fan Up podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.
Fred Payne. Uh, hope to see him uh, drafted uh, come draft weekend. You know, still quite a number of names here on the free agent list that I that I want to just highlight real quickly. Kevin Minter, uh, middle linebacker uh, from Arizona. I think uh, I think he can still provide. Uh, a quality player to a quality team. Jared Audrick, I'm surprised he hasn't signed anywhere yet. Another another quality defensive lineman. Um, by the way, this is going against everything that I argued about earlier in the show, where I'm pointing out all these great defensive <laughs> linemen and linebackers uh-huh. still available in free agency that I think can make an impact for a team. Uh, Devin Taylor, another defensive end. Uh Man, I can't find a single corner that's still available that would help out a team. But that I think that it has more to do with the players available. Darius Butler, I think, could have some potential, but not really. He's a cult, um, and he used to be a Patriot. And there's a reason why he used to be a Patriot. Uh, uh, Nickel Roby Coleman. Don't know a lot about him, but I know he plays really well uh, in Madden. Um, but uh, what do you think about him, Robert? He's five foot six. Mm. Oh, he's short. <laughs> yeah, he's a he, listen. He's a he's a decent slot corner. Uh, Pod, you'll know him as the guy who's getting the tackle on Edelman five yards after he catches the ball when you beat the Bills uh, the past couple seasons. Uh, he um, he's disruptive. He did have a a nice pick six. I'm trying. I can't remember who it was against. It was towards the end of the year last year. Um, but I mean. Yeah, the Bills released him because uh, they were paying him uh, like $2 million a year, and they didn't want to pay him. Um, he's a straight man, cover guy, and that's not good when you're five foot six. You know, there's two corners from Dallas, Kevin, Morris Claiborne and Brandon Carr. Oh, yeah. Help <clears throat> argument. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brandon Carr, I mean, he obviously didn't live up to his mega contract he signed in 2012, but – to cut him some slack here, he was consistently, uh, I mean, I guess he was consistently average, which you don't want from a $50 million person, but he's a more than competent cornerback. And he's also never missed a game in his career, which I imagine teams teams should like. Um, and then Mo Claiborne, I mean, he signed a one-year $3 million deal with the Cowboys last year. Um, and he was lighting it up for the first five games until he got hurt. Um, so that's probably why he hasn't been signed yet because he has a very, very long laundry list of injuries. Um, but I think both of them will eventually sign somewhere. Um, I'm really hoping the Cowboys re-sign Brandon Carr. Uh, I think it's like a must at this point. We've lost a lot of members in the secondary. Um, and I wish the best for Mo Claiborne. I hear the Ravens are interested in him, so I think that would be a good spot for him. Darrell Revis is still available, by the way. All charges from his incident in Pittsburgh have been dropped. Uh, but Revis is not the same player, and he's going to command a lot of money. Uh, and I don't think he's going to sign one of those, oh, yeah, you're old, prove it kind of deals. Uh, Brandon Flowers, uh, who's not listed in the top 101 talent, and I'd take him over any of the other corners that I just mentioned, Um Brendan Flowers is available. Uh, he is in his ninth season, but I would sign Brendan Flowers, um, and I would hope the Patriots would maybe try and get a no, 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 no. no. I'm pretty him. sure he likes green. 
I'm, I'm <laughs> pretty sure he likes green. <laughs> See? Uh, so Brandon Flowers is, a, is another player available out there. Um, everybody else has been signed in terms of corners. So... Uh, that that'll do it. I think gentlemen, I think we covered quite a bit of news here, but I will give each of you one last chance to say something. And I will start with you, James, go ahead. Uh, free agency pretty much at this point is the low period. We're not going to see many big names that are left being moved anytime between now and the draft. I think teams have pretty much acquired what they can. Anybody signed at this point will be to low end medium contracts, just to fill a void for a year or two at best, but the draft process is pretty much in overdrive right now behind closed doors. Draft boards are getting made, destroyed, and built up again. Which reminds me, we need to get the super fan, super mock draft kickstarted here, but we still have a ton of openings for super fans. If you're a Detroit fan, if you're an Atlanta fan, if you are a Tampa Bay fan, if you are a Carolina fan, uh, there are a lot of openings uh, so send those emails in nextfanup at gmail.com so that you can get involved. Uh, the Superfan Supermock Draft is where you get to pretend that you are the general manager for your team uh, and you get to pick the players that you want. We allow trades so you can make trades. It's a fun time. Uh, Robert, last word. Uh, my last word. Yeah. I mean, we're getting, we're gearing up for the draft uh, now. Only thing I want to mention is that um, on Tuesdays, uh, there, you may uh, also hear me on the kind of kind of podcast that's uh, directed towards the NFL draft. Uh, me, myself, uh, Neil, and uh, the Washington Superfan, and Chris, the Saints Superfan. Um, if you want to hear us chat about uh, all the fun stuff of the uh, NFL draft, prospects, all that fun stuff. Uh, good show. I gave it a listen this week. I highly recommend it. Uh, if you don't want to miss a show. Subscribe to us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, AHA Radio. Uh, you can always ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Next Fan Up. She loves us. Uh, so give us a shot and share with a friend. Kevin, last word. Uh, last word. I'm going back to Jonathan Cooper. I think I've discovered why the Cowboys signed him. Jerry Jones, direct quote from draft day when he was drafted. We wanted him so bad. We like almost died when Arizona took him. So there you have it, boys. Jerry Jones in charge. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think that's a great no note to that. end uh, on. Uh, as uh, March Madness is upon us, I'm sure most of you are watching your brackets and filling them out. Well, you, you're too late if you're still filling them out. Too bad for you. Uh, we watch March Madness get underway and see some of these college kids play for uh, a championship like none other. Um, I don't know. I don't have anything more to say. So so when I get to that point, it's time to bring in Jeff Fisher. There you have it. Well, I think we learned today that, um, you know, this game is four quarters long. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.